Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. I want to begin this morning a two-week series on Reach One is the name of it. Each of us has someone in our lives that God has set in our place to reach with the gospel. There's two or three of you that agree with me this morning. Do you realize that there are people that you work with and people that you're at school with, people that you're at home with maybe, that don't know Christ that God has strategically placed in your life. God has strategically placed in your life for them to be born again. You're in their life for a reason. You know, a lot of times we, we think that God's called us to reach. We've got to each, each of us individually have to reach thousands of people. And we have to do this great work for the kingdom. How can you begin to reach the thousands if you can't reach the one? There's one person, there's someone in your life that God has placed there for you to begin to reach out and minister life into them. In Luke chapter 15, we find Jesus where he usually is, teaching and ministering. And as he begins teaching and ministering, there's an upheaval. Isn't it interesting that conflict followed Jesus' ministry? Everywhere that Jesus went, the religious devils always got an upheaval and an uproar. If you don't believe it, look through the scripture. Every, everywhere that Jesus went, there was life. People were healed. People were set free. But there was conflict. You see, the message of the gospel creates conflict. The message of the gospel is not intended to be a, a message that, that uh, we make everybody feel comfortable and we want to make everybody happy and we don't, we don't want to offend anybody. That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel divides between heaven and hell. There is still heaven and there is still very much a hell today. Hell didn't go away because somebody just started to preach that there's no hell and everybody's going to heaven. That message of antinomianism and universalism has, has, has been around for years. But it hasn't stopped the reality that there is a hell that's burning today for the, for the wrath of God against sin. Now, if you expected to come to church today and get a message that made you feel good about yourself, then you might want to brace yourself and buckle your seatbelt today. Because I, I might actually preach on hell today. I might actually get there. So, so I, just want, I just want to warn you that God's not called us to sit comfortably in church while sinners are dying and going to hell all around us. The message of the gospel is a gospel of conflict. Jesus in verse 15, chapter 15, verse 1 says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is teaching and ministering, and the people that the religious leaders tried to stop are the ones that came to him? Yeah. We're so afraid. We're so afraid at times that, that the world's going to be offended by our message and by, by our extreme, uh, as we often say, extreme uh, baptism in the Holy Spirit or spiritual gift. We're so afraid. And it's the very thing the Bible says is a sign to the unbeliever. It's the unbelievers that came looking for Jesus. Why? Because there was something different. There was, something, there was something different about his ministry. There was something different from Christ than the rest of the religious teachers and leaders that had come through the ages. They came hungry, and the Pharisees, the Bible says in verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes complained. It wasn't the, religion, it was, it wasn't the uh, worldly people. It wasn't the tax collectors and the sinners that were complaining. It was the church people complaining. 
I didn't say that. Somebody else said that. I, was, I, was, I, was, I heard it in the crowd. I was repeating what I heard. <laughs> this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That word, complain, jumping back to verse 2, they were complaining it's the Greek word for murmuring. Here's the Greek, here's the, here's the, the leaders, the, the religious leaders sitting around complaining, murmuring about Jesus. One, they were trying to ensnare him in religious law. Jesus, if you're a great religious leader, then you shouldn't be hanging out with these, these sinners and these tax collectors. You're above them. And so they were trying to ensnare him, saying, uh, we don't hang out with that kind. The religious leaders didn't hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And then they were insinuating that, Jesus, if you hang out with this kind, then surely your character is the same as theirs. Surely that you are a sinner because you're hanging out with them. And they began to complain. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 16, it says this. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust. They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles, our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last days. Everybody say mockers. There's going to come, the Bible says, in the times and the days in which we live, those who will complain and mock the, the presence of God and the pouring out of His Spirit in this day. And they do it, the Bible says, because of their own lust, their own desires. They want to gain advantage. They want to gain control. Uh-oh. Y'all's getting quiet in here this morning. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, verse 20, says this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, there's going to be people who complain and, and mock the outpouring and the move of God in these days, but, but don't let it get you sidetracked. Don't let it get, get you off the course. Keep yourself in your most holy faith by how Praying in the Holy Spirit. In other words, turn up the volume. When you hear people mock and complain and, and the days grow evil, don't let it stop you. Let it increase. Let it increase the, the outflow of the Holy Ghost in your life. Let it increase. It increases the need. Man, when people start complaining and people start saying what they want to say about, you're that crazy southern preacher, people fall on the floor in your church. They pray in tongues in your church. I just, Lord, let it increase. I just begin to stir myself up in my most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. I have to keep myself in the love of God. I don't know about you, but I have to keep myself in the love of God. If it were up to my natural man, I might want to show them some fivefold ministry. I might want to really show them how we love people around here at Celebration Church. You want to cause conflict and complain? I have to pray in the Holy Spirit and keep myself in the love of God. Maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you're perfect. But for me, I have to pray and let it increase in my life. This is what Exodus said. Exodus 15, 24 says, And the people complained against Moses. Poor Moses. 
having to deal with millions of complaining Jews. What are we going to drink, Moses? See, here's the dilemma. When you don't drink of the Holy Ghost, you dry up and you start complaining. When you're not continually drinking, when you're too busy, worried about natural drink and natural sustenance and not focused on drinking in the Spirit, you get dried up, cracked up, and grouchy and cranky. There's no outflow. I better move along. You know, Joshua and Caleb, I love the story of Joshua and Caleb. I, I, I'm going to move on to the woman and the lost coin. That's where we're headed. I'm, I'm going to teach on that in a moment. But I've got to set the stage before we get there, so I apologize. So Joshua and Caleb are standing, looking at the promised land. Moses sends them out with the other spies. They come back with the report. They've spied out the land. And they come back with the report, Moses, we can take them. God's on our side. We've got victory assured. Let's go. And then the other spies say, Moses, it's a bad idea. We're like grasshoppers. You ever notice how the enemy always exaggerates the truth? It's a lie. At the end of the day, it's a lie. Exaggerated truth is a lie. But we believe, we, we believe the, the stupidity of the enemy. So we're, we're so, we're so uh, easily swayed. The enemy sometimes can be so cunning that we, that we easily believe these simple lies. They're, I mean, there's no simple lie, but they're the smallest lies. The grasshopper, really? We're like grass, grasshoppers? Come on. And it keeps them out of the promised land. And we find years later, Joshua and Caleb back at the same place where they started. Saying, okay, Joshua, we've endured. We've stayed faithful. We saw the promise. We saw the promise when we were younger. We, we had much more strength. We had, we had the endurance. But... You know what, Joshua? We have more strength today than when we started. We have more wisdom today than when we began. And we want our promise. We ought to be like Joshua and Caleb with tenacity that says God has given us our city. We're not backing down until we see our city transform. I'm not stopping the message of the gospel. I'm not backing down in what I believe because this city is mine. God's given me this city and I'm pressing on until I receive the victory. And so they complained, and Jesus told them parables. You know, that's funny. Jesus, Jesus has such a way with the religious leaders. You're going to complain, let's tell a story. Let's tell a story about this. And so I'll pick up in the story of the, the woman with the lost coin. And, but before I do, I, I have this video that I want to share with you. Tired of having to avoid all the sinners you come in contact Can you with restart every it? day. Are you tired of having to avoid all the sinners you come in contact with every day? Are you disgusted by all the non-Christians around you? If only there was something that could keep the unclean heathens away from you. Now there is. Introducing the Christian Bubble. The Christian Bubble is an amazing new device that allows Christians to ignore the fallen world around them and remain in a small bubble of holiness. The Christian Bubble has been scientifically engineered to insulate Christians from the sights, sounds, and smells of a world they are simply too good for, while at the same time covering their faces from the view of the wicked people that don't know God. Available in regular and extra large. Order one today. The Christian Bubble is not recommended for Christians that want to serve others as Christ did or those that truly love their neighbors. May cause suffocation. Now, we won't offer those at the resource table, but, um, you know, this video is a great display of our attitude oftentimes to the lost and the hurting around us. We may not, we may not vocally say, oh, I, I'm not going to reach out to you, You're, you know, I'm better than you. We may not actually say those words, but our actions often say it quite loudly, or should I say our inactions often say it quite loudly. I pray today that through, through this message that you would begin to feel the reality of hell for your lost friends and family members that are dying around you. I pray that the, that the realities of, of, the, of heaven and hell become so real for you today that, that you would be awakened and God would put a passion in your heart to reach out to the lost and dying around you. 
Four quick ways I'll give you these. Quick ways to identify maybe a disconnect in evangelism in your life. Number one, when was the last time you wept in prayer over the lost? When was the last time that, that you had such a burden of intercession for lost people or a lost person around you that you wept in prayer for them? When was the last time that you were moved to action by compassion for a lost person, meaning that you shared your story. Maybe, maybe you ministered to someone at the grocery store. Maybe as Heather was the other day, she was at the beauty salon and started a minute, and the, the, the lady at the salon said, oh, you're the, you're the person on Facebook. I know who you are. You're on Facebook. And Heather's like, oh, yeah? What are you talking about? You're that pastor's wife. You're the past new pastor in town. And, you know, how awesome is that, that they recognized Heather, and it opened a door, opened up an opportunity for her to minister to them and invite them to church and invite them to the Easter egg outreach. When's the last time that you were moved to action by compassion for the broken? Do you find yourself more consumed with what you dislike about church, your pastor, or your life, rather than a hatred for hell and for anyone to experience this judgment? Is there more of a burning passion in your heart about what's not right about your life, what's not right about your church, what you would change about your pastor, what you would change about your circumstances? Are you more consumed with the reality of eternity for those around you? Oh, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I mean, I know, I know everyone in this room goes around thinking and, and, and is aware of eternity out of everyone you meet. I know, I know how we live. We live self-consumed lives. Am I preaching to myself this morning? We live self-consumed lives and we forget that there are those around us who are within a moment's time will step into eternity. We are not guaranteed our next breath and the very string of the grace of God and the very next moment could be cut and they find themselves in eternity. Are we aware of that eternal reality for those around us? Do you find yourself, number four, complaining more than you respond with compassion? Well... I, if, I were, if I were in charge, I would do this. Or if I, were, if I were that person, I would do this. Maybe they don't know that they need to do that. Maybe they don't know that they're in that situation that they're in and they need someone to love them and minister to them and show them the godly way to get out of their mess. Not just, well, if I were that person, I wouldn't, you know, they're, they're in drugs and they're in alcohol, they're a prostitute, they're this, they're that, I, I they just need to get out of that situation. Maybe nobody's actually walked them through how to get out of that mess. Maybe nobody's ever told them about the grace of God that transforms lives. Maybe nobody's actually sat. That's why we have dunamis power resident on the inside of us. is so that you and I can sit down with those people and begin to love them through their mess and find them at the point of hurt and the point of their need and begin to say God loves you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let me reach out with life and hope and healing. Isn't that our slogan? That we bring life, hope, and healing to our community. Community. Whoo, Jesus, help us. And so we find this woman. Now, I like props, and so I have this little setup here today to help you visualize this situation. This woman is probably a Palestinian woman, and you know, Jesus was telling stories, so I'll tell I'll tell my story this morning. This woman, we'll call her Mary for lack of a better name. Mary's a popular name in the Bible, so we'll use Mary. Mary was going about her duties in her house. As a Palestinian woman, she had probably recently gotten married and received, as most Palestinian women would, a necklace with ten silver coins on it. This is, a silver, this is actually a, a silver dollar. Silver coin she would have received... Ten of these on a necklace. It would have been very valuable to her. It would have been very precious to her. Sentimentally, it would have been valuable. It was a wedding gift. That wedding gift in her day was, each of these were about 15 cents. In today's market, they're about $20. She would have received 10 of these. She would have, it was a $200 wedding gift. That's a pretty pricey wedding gift. Most of us probably don't give $200 wedding gifts to somebody. So that was a pretty valuable, monetary valuable and sentimental value. And she had this necklace. She treasured it. Mary 
was going about her daily chores around the house and somehow or another, Jesus didn't say it wasn't probably important, but somehow or another, she lost the coin. She lost, she lost a coin. The value, this valuable necklace got lost and she began to go frantically searching for this coin. The first thing that we see, we see that she does is, is she finds the lamp. Oh yeah, she finds the lamp and she lights the lamp. She sets, she sets the lamp on fire and she begins to search the house. I want to tell you, my friend, that you and I need to allow the Holy Spirit to light our fire. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to light our lamps with fire again. You know, the Bible tells us in Acts 20, there was a man named Eutychus. Eutychus was, was sitting in the teaching of Paul, and his, he's sitting there. Paul's teaching from about noon to midnight. That's a long service. Paul's teaching from about noon to midnight. We'll try that today. <laughs> he was teaching... And in Paul's style, he's probably going for it. He's preaching the gospel. He's, he's laying the gospel out. And as he's preaching, as he's teaching, the Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 8 that there were many lamps that were burning in that room. There were many lamps burning in that room. And here's Eutychus sitting on the window ledge. Why was Eutychus sitting on the window ledge when Paul's teaching in the middle of the room? Eutychus, stop hanging out on the edge. Start hanging, stop hanging out on the fringe and get into the middle where the fire is. I want to say to you today, stop hanging out on the windowsill. Stop hanging out on the ledge and get in where the fire is. Get into the middle of the room where the Holy Ghost is being poured out. Get into the middle of the room where Paul's teaching and preaching Pentecostal fire. He's sitting there and falls asleep, falls asleep, falls off the window ledge, falls outside and dies. We've got too many Christians who have allowed the flame of the fire of the Holy Ghost in their life to dim and they have fallen asleep and they are falling. They are close to falling and dying. In this world in which we live, there are many lamps. I, I believe there are many lamps, but if we take a look at the prodigal, prodigals, or excuse me, the, the parable of the ten virgins, if you take a look at the parable of the ten virgins, if, if those percentages are accurate, Half the church has allowed their lamps to go out. Before the coming of Jesus, half the church allowed their lamps to go out. We've got to be full of Holy Spirit oil and the fire of God. We've got to be bit. Why? Why do we have to be full of the light of God? Why do we have to have the fire of God burning in our lives? Because there is a light that has to be shown in the darkness. Jesus said, let your light shine before men that it might glorify God. You have a fire to burn in your life. There's a fire that's got to burn in your life so that others might see it and glorify God. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Allow resurrection life to begin to flow through your body. You've been sitting in the church. Many of you have been sitting here for years. You've heard the teaching. You've received instruction. And I'm saying to you today, you have got such a foundation of the Word of God in you. If you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and breathe resurrection life to that Word that's been planted in you, your, your light would be a bonfire. <laughs> you have enough wood in your belly. <laughs> you have enough wood, so to speak, in your belly that if the Holy Spirit were to light you up, you would be a ball of fire set ablaze for this community. In James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. And catch this, there's no shadow of turning. Hebrews 12.29 says, Our God is an all-consuming fire. Hebrews 1.3 says that whom being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand. This is Christ. He is the radiance of the Father. He is the light of the Father. The light of God never casts a shadow. God is always at His zenith. He's always at the top. He's always in perfect position. Shot 
shining down His radiant light upon us. There is no shadow. There is no shifting of His position. He is at His perfect position. And He stays at His perfect position, shining and radiating His light on us. The light of God is ceaseless. It's not temporary. It's always fully radiant. Listen, you and I can't be half lit. We're either lit or we're not. We're either fully radiant or we're living in darkness and shadows. I want to tell you today, you and I need to be fully lit, fully ignited with the flame of God in our lives. Say, wow, you're pretty excited about this message this morning. Absolutely. Absolutely I am. There is a lost coin in your house somewhere. There's a lost coin. There's a lost person somewhere that you're working with, somewhere in your family, somewhere in your job. There's a lost person that's dying and on their way to hell. I'm not preaching a happy message this morning to get you all excited about, oh, we're, we're a great church. No, no, no. I'm telling you there are souls on their way to hell this moment and you and I have to be fully engaged with the fire of God that they might be found. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You and I are being transformed from glory to glory. You and I are being, what happens? You and I behold the glory of the Lord. And we're transformed into that glory. When you and I behold the glory, we become more like that glory. What you behold is what you become. If you spend your time beholding nasty stuff on the computer, if you spend your time beholding the gross music and the the vileness of this world, guess what you're going to become? Behold His glory. Get your face in the glory. Get Get your eyes in the glory. Get your face in the glory. Behold His glory and become transformed by it. And when you do, the radiance of the presence of God will shine out of you. Well, I don't understand what you're preaching, brother, because I don't have people coming to me that, that, that are being born again. I'm not seeing people around me transformed. I'm not, I'm not uh, making an impact in my community. Are you beholding his glory? Are you, when you get a hold of his glory, you just show up in a room and the atmosphere changes. When people see you, there's some. you don't have to preach hell and damnation to everybody around you. When you get the glory of God in you, there's something that radiates from you. There's a love that radiates from you. There's a light in your eyes. There's a hope in your step. You're not consumed by the depression and depravity of man. You're consumed by the glory of God. Secondly, it's our delight to search for the coin. Oh, what a delight it is, this precious, this precious coin, this sentimental coin, this valuable coin. It's precious to me. It's, it's valuable to me. I have to, you know, bad reference, but I'll, I'll interject it anyway. My precious. my precious. I have to search and find. I have to look until I find it. Becomes my delight. We see that she was so delighted by by looking for it and finding it that she called all of her friends and her neighbors. I found my coin. I looked and I found it. I found my coin. And she began to rejoice. She was there was excitement. There was a joy in her about looking for and finding that coin. Jonathan Edwards says this, God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of him is our proper and is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Oh, the enjoyment of God. We find our enjoyment in Him. We delight ourselves in Him. And it becomes our delight. It becomes our joy to be stewards over what we've experienced. It becomes our joy and our delight to become stewards of what He's given us. 
Think about the parable of the talents the master gave. Five, two, and one talent. The one with one buried it, and the two, and the five, and the five got five more. You know, the value for those servants was not based on the money that they got back. The value for those servants was the fact that their master gave them money to be a steward over. Our joy and our delight is that we do well with what God has given us. Our joy and our delight is to, to make much of Him and to glorify God, to enjoy Him. And when you and I do that, it affects those around us. We get a reality check of, 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 the, of the hell that is burning for those who are lost around us. Which one of you in this room today, if, if you were to see your neighbor's house on fire, would not run into that house and to do everything within your means to pull them to safety? Amen. Recently, my grandma was, many of you know we're dealing with health issues with her. She has Parkinson's disease and dementia and all these. And recently, house, she set the house on fire. Not funny, but... Kind of is a little comical. She sets the house on fire, throwing matches, lights the trash can, and you know that's what happens, unfortunately, with people who have dementia and such. We don't know exactly what happened, but she told the story. They asked how the fire get put out. When the firemen showed up, the fire was already out. Fire had had lit the carpet, the new wood floor, everything on fire in the kitchen, the dining room. And they said, how the, how'd the fire get out? The firemen had no clue how the fire got out. When they got there, they walked in and everything was put out. Later in the nursing home, she said, well, the Lord put it out. Amen. We don't know how the fire got out. The fire got put out. When you... When, when you... Get a reality of eternity for those around you. And realize that their house is on fire and they're trapped inside. You will do everything within your means to save them and to get them help. I pray this morning that the reality of the flames of hell that are burning, of judgment against sin would become real for you today, that you would understand that we're not playing patty cake in church anymore. We're not playing a social club. There are people that are going to hell around us and you and I are the ones that God has placed in their lives to pull them and to snatch them, the Bible says, as it were, from the flames of fire. God, help us that we enjoy God with all of our might. Help us to enjoy Him with all of our strength. But in doing so, that we don't get lost in the reality that there are those around us that are dying and going to hell. And our enjoyment of God is for the overflow of those who are hurting and broken. We receive dunamis power. We receive the joy of the Lord. We receive from God, not for us to sit and to, and to saturate for our own selves, but that there might be an overflow in the community around us. The river started at the altar, but it went outside the temple. The river of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit flows from our altar, flows from a place of prayer, flows from a place of intercession, flows from a place of hunger and desperation, but it affects our community. If the river is not affecting our community, then we need more of his river. If, if the river of God that's it, flowing through your life is not impacting the hurting and the broken, then I would venture to say you need more of his river. Come on. You need more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Romans 5, sheds abroad the love of God in our heart. If the love of God is being shed abroad in your heart, then there's got to be an overflow. You can't taste of the love of God and it not affect people around you. If it is not, then you need more. We yield and receive more. I need more every day. It's hard to love some, some of the people out there. It's hard to love some of those honorary mean people out there. It's hard to, to see Christ in people sometimes. And so I have to have more of Him and less of me in order to meet them at their point of need. 
Matthew 10.8 says, freely you have received, freely give. You've received, Peter said, Lord, we've given everything to follow you. We've, we've left it all. We've laid it all down. Freely you have received, freely give. Multiplication in the kingdom happens by you investing what you've received, by you giving away what you've received to someone else. When you become stingy and you hold on to what God has given you, you smother it, you kill it, and it dies. You bury it. It's like burying the talent. You have no return when the master comes. It's only when you invest what you've received that you receive the reward from the master. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31 it says, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. How, how do we grow? How does multiplication happen? How do we see bo- people born again? You and I have to walk together in unity in the fear of the Lord. Ananias and Sapphira really helped that one out. You remember the story, Ananias and Sapphira lied. It wasn't just about what they gave, although that w- it was part of it. But the point of the matter was that they lied to the Holy Spirit. And they fell down dead. <laughs> Talk about fear, instantaneous fear. We had someone come down this morning and we called them out and they dropped down dead. That instantaneous fear, let me tell you. Paul used to instruct his disciples, if someone's causing problems in the church, you call them out in front of everybody. We've become so, so fearful that, that we offend people. And we've forsaken the fear of the Lord. We've, we've become so fearful of man that we no longer fear God. We've become more concerned about what others think and what others say. That when it comes to the fear of the Lord, that we ignore what God says. We ignore what His Word says. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. I'm, I'm not one that's going to preach uh, you know, warfare and tearing things down and all those things. But I will say you this. I will say this to you. That it takes spiritual tenacity. It takes spiritual fervor and passion to endure the gospel of the Bible. Anybody can preach a watered-down gospel. Anybody can get up and preach a gospel that doesn't offend man. Anybody can get up and preach a message that leaves out hell, that leaves out the blood, that leaves out the baptism. Yeah, why, why, why would we want to preach those things? It offends people. Anybody can get up and preach that. But oh, when you get a hold of the reality of the gospel, you get a hold of the reality of the things that Jesus taught and Paul taught and Peter taught. Man, there's a fire that burns in your belly. There's a Holy Ghost tonight. It doesn't matter what people say or what people, hey, you can say what you want about me. You can think what you want about me. But I've tasted of something real. I've tasted of something that's changed my life. You can't shut me up. And I pray that the same tenacity gets in you that you can't keep quiet. You don't agree with me? That's fine. Don't agree. I'm going to keep preaching. (laughs) You don't like the baptism in the Holy Spirit? That's okay. I'm going to keep preaching. It's very real. You don't like the doctrine of hell and heaven and eternal judgment? That's okay. I'm going to keep preaching it. It's still very real. You don't believe God still heals today? I do. I'm going to keep preaching and I've seen it. It happens. God's still still on the throne. (laughs) I better move along before I make anybody too mad. Yes, amen. Mark chapter 1 and verse 17 says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Multiplication is the overflow of your experience with Christ. What that word means in the Greek, uh, and I will make you become, is there is a transformation. Jesus said, If you follow me, I will transform you, and I will put you on display as a fisher of men. He's talking to them about the things they enjoyed, talking to them about the things they knew, being fishermen. And he said, but I'm going to transform you. Instead of natural things, I'm going to make you more aware of spiritual things. 
Instead of being aware of the natural fish, I'm going to make you so aware of the spiritual fish. Oh, my friend, there is a great haul of fish for you and I. If you will launch out into the deep, if you will let down your nets for a catch, there's a great haul. But you don't understand, Pastor. We've been toiling for years and haven't caught a thing. But I'm telling you that there, if you will just launch out, there is a great, I'm about ready to take off here. If, you, if you'll just launch out into the deep, there's a great haul of fish that's dressed around the bend. Just trust him. Just trust him again. If you'll just trust him again. I know you've been hurt and I know things have happened. But if you will just trust God again and let down your nets at his word, you will catch a great haul. It's not about me. It's not about me. Listen, friend, it's not about Heather and I. We love you dearly, and we're so glad that we're here. But we're just vessels in the hands of God. We love you, but, but it's not about us. We're sent here by God to equip you and to send you out. If we don't do that, we fail at our calling, and we'll stand before God and give an account for it. Our call is to equip you and to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone, to launch out from the shoreline and launch out into the deep. I've been in deep waters, friend. (laughs) I've been in the deep waters, and I know what's out there. I've been in the deep. I've been in the deep river, and I know know what's out there. If you'll just launch out, I'm telling you there's a great catch of fish. Jesus said the fields are wide and ready for harvest. Pray the Lord would send laborers. I'm saying to you, you're the laborers. I've been in the deep waters, and I know that there's fish out there, and they're ready to be caught. They're jumping in the boat. We're in a day, in a season of supernatural harvest. I've seen thousands come to Jesus in one altar call. I'm telling you, there are fish ready to jump in the boat if you'll just launch out into the deep. If you'll just get out of your comfort zone and launch, just trust him. Just trust him again. I've tried it before. I know. I know. I've heard the stories. I know. I've heard it. Just trust him. Allow him to heal your heart. That's why we've got to receive. That's why, the, that's why the disciples had to become fishers of men following after Jesus. That's why they had to follow Jesus. Jesus had to heal their heart. Jesus had to mend their heart. Jesus had to do a work. And even so much so that when he left, when he left them, they felt abandoned. And Jesus had said, Don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. Why? Because we're walking, as as Acts 9 says, not only are we walking in unity under the fear of the Lord, but we're walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the comfort of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you've been hurt, if you've been wounded by church, maybe, maybe there's been extreme Pentecostals in your life that told you you can't go to the doctor when you get sick. I don't know what the case is. Just allow the comfort of the Holy Spirit to heal your heart. Just allow Him to heal your heart. Let the walls down. Yield is what we always say around here. Yield. Just yield to God and let Him heal your heart. And when He does, launch out into the deep. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The third thing that I want to point out, and I'll wrap up with this in a moment, is the miracle, the miracle of the lost coin. The miracle of the lost coin was that it was always in our house. Never left the house. I would say to you today, the miracle is still in your house. The miracle, the coin, she didn't know where it went, but she got frantic. She began, she began to sweep the house. She began to, find, to sweep away the dirt. She began to get her house in order. Listen, sometimes you just got to get your house in order and just begin to clean things up. And when you do, you'll, you don't know what you're going to find hiding under that basket. You don't know what's going to be under that coffee table or that. As you begin to clean up your house and allow God to work in your life and transform your life, you'll find that there might be some lost coins under all of that. God's going to take, listen to me, God's going to take the mess of your life. God's going to take the destruction of your life. God's going to take the depravity of your life and it's going to be the very place where you find a lost coin. Your drunkenness, your alcoholism, your pornography, your sin, your depravity, your marriage issues, whatever it is, it's in that place that you're going to find a lost coin. Yeah. 
Well, you, I'm hurt. You don't know what I've been through. It's in that place that you're going to find a lost coin. Stop looking for things to be perfect. Stop looking for things to be all cleaned up and nice and tidy. Just start cleaning your house. And when you do, you'll find the lost. The miracle was still in her house. The miracle was still in her house. She picked up her broom. She picked up what she was comfortable with. Just start small. We're not asking you to lead a ministry. We're just asking you to go, go reach out to someone who's hurting and broken. Your broom might be a fishing pole or a golf club or reading books or whatever, whatever it is you're comfortable with. Just pick it up and find somebody who's lost doing what you're doing. Lead a small group. Do something. Just begin to take, take action with what's comfortable and find the lost coin. In 2 Kings chapter 4... Verse 1 says, A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be a slave. My husband's gone, and my sons are getting ready to be taken to debtor's prison. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but the jar of oil. The debtors had come and taken everything she had. She had sold all of her possessions just to get by. Everything was gone. She was at, at, at meager levels. All she had in her house was a jar of oil. But I'm telling you, when you have the jar of the Holy Ghost in your house, you've got everything you need. If you just have, maybe it's just a little vessel. You may not even be overflowing. If you just got a little jar, God will take the little jar and do something much with it. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door. Go get it. Go get all the vessels. Borrow vessels from everywhere. Your neighbors, go everywhere and get vessels. Don't gather just a few. Get a lot. Get as many as you can. And when you've come in, you'll shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and you shall begin to pour the oil. And when she did this, now it came to pass in verse 6 that when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. And she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live. Oh, if you'll just bring in the vessels. Go take what's in your house. Go get the, what, what is resident on the inside of this house is a little bit of oil. What is resident? We may not, we may not have much. We have a great building. We have a great worship team and all those things. All that's great. We, we may not be like the mega churches around the country. But I tell you what we have that many of them don't. And that is the oil of the Holy Ghost. You just begin. If you'll just go get. Just go get a vessel. Just go. Not, don't get just, a, just one or two. Just get as many as you can. Just bring the vessels and begin to pour the oil. I'm in debt. I'm, 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 I'm losing money. You don't know me. Just pour the oil. I'm broken, I'm hurt, just pour the oil. <laughs> I don't have much to give. Give what you got, pour the oil. Just start pouring the oil, and when you do, you'll find not just a few, but there'll be many vessels filled. Just start with the one. Just find the one. Begin to look and search for your, through your house. Begin to find the vessel. Begin to find the coin. Begin to find the person. That God's placed around you. Why don't you stand with me this morning, Grace? Y'all can come back to the stage. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the coins that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for the coins. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us souls, Lord. The Bible says, your word says, that the inheritance, our inheritance, is the lost. Lord, we ask we ask for the heathen as our inheritance. Lord, we ask for the lost as our inheritance. We ask you, Lord, that we'd be faithful stewards of the coins you've given us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every single one of us 
every single one of us have someone in our lives that's lost. Not only, not only do we have those in our lives that are lost, but maybe you're here this morning and you're like the lost coin. Maybe you're here this morning and you're away from God. How is it with your soul today? How is it between you and Jesus today? How is it with you and Jesus? Are things well between you and him or are you away from God? Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you wake up in the morning thinking about Jesus? Do you go to bed at night thinking about Jesus? Does your heart long for his presence? Do you live for him in the day? Do you live for him at night? Do you love Jesus? Do you have a passion for his word? What you saying, preacher? These are all indicators where you are with Christ. If your heart doesn't burn for his presence, are you born again? If you don't wake up in the morning or go to bed at night thinking about Jesus, are you born again? Is your life, is your life consumed with the glory of God or is it consumed with yourself? That's, that's how we know if you've got the real deal. If you're really truly born again, your life is lived not for yourself but for him becomes the joy of your life. How is it with you today? How is it with your soul today? Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're away from God this morning, if you're away from God, maybe you once knew Him, maybe, you're, maybe your relationship with God has grown cold, maybe you've grown stagnant in your relationship with Christ, today's the day to say, God, come rekindle the fire. Today's the day. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so